we uh, we are finishing up our time together in the book of Second Thessalonians, uh, Paul's second letter to the church. Uh, as as we've walked through this, we've talked. You know, we've talked about a bunch of different things. Last week we spoke, um, not near long enough, but we spoke about the the idea of Jesus is coming again, and we talked about the idea of what life is going to look like. Um, during that time, the tribulation and the, the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. And Paul's going to wrap up his letter tonight, a letter that he wrote while he was in Corinth, more than likely. A, red, a letter that he wrote pretty quickly after he wrote the first letter. Uh, and in this case, it was to address some particular concerns that had come out of the church there in Thessalonica. And so we've walked through that. And so we're going to do that again. Uh, we're going to do that again tonight. We're not going to stand and read all 18 verses. We're going to just read them together as we go, as we go through this. And since there's a lot to cover, I don't have a, I don't have a big introduction, but can I tell you my favorite church joke? Wow. Little mixed bag there, right? It's like I asked you if you wanted to be a Cubs fan, right? So. This is my favorite church joke, right? There's a guy who was trying to raise some money, right? One of the biggest challenges that pastors have uh, is raising money. And so this guy was trying to raise some money for a mission in his church. And so he decided that what they were going to do was... It was a cold... It was an old country church, a more traditional church. And they were going, they were going to let... The person who gave the largest contribution... They were going to let that person pick the, pick the three hymns... For the worship service, okay? And back then, listen, if you grew up in church, you may understand how big a deal that was to people, right? Uh, but so, so people began to contribute um, to, the, to this campaign in hopes that they would get to pick their three favorite hymns for the worship service. So eventually, pe- checks came in, offering came in, and eventually, one lady... Lady had been in church forever. She was a widow, uh, a, a, a widow, and so she gave a ten thousand dollar check, by far and away the largest contribution, hands down the winner. So the Sunday came for them to announce the winner, and so they announced this to the entire church, and they announced they announced the lady uh, Betty, we'll call her as as the winner, right? And so the pastor was up front, and he was just beaming because of all the money that was raised, and he thought it was a great idea. And they introduced Betty and asked Betty to come to the front of the church, right, so that she could pick her three favorite hymns. Betty was a sweet old lady. Nobody had heard much of her. She walks up to the front of the church and stands on the stage with the pastor. And he says, Betty, it's time for you to pick your three favorite hymns. And she cleared her throat and she looked around and she said, I'll take him and I'll take him and I'll take him. Right? (laughs) I love it. I know that's dumb as can be, but you know what? It's one of my favorite church jokes ever, right? I'll take him, him, and him, right? Hey, a big hello to everybody who's watching online. We're so glad. Um, We have nearly 300 people. Well, we don't have many people. We have nearly 300 different logins across all of our social media platforms of people who watch the service. And so a big hello to all of you. We're grateful that you guys are taking the time to be a part of this as well. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's walk through Paul's final words uh, to this church. As always, you can find the outline for what we talk about on Wednesday, on the weekend, and on Tuesdays uh, at the UVersion Bible app. Uh, you just log into the UVersion Bible app, click 
down in that corner where it says more and you'll find live events. Click on Tomoka and the notes from our, our live services are available there. Here's, he, we're going to talk about Paul's final words and he's going to address the idea of battle, of fighting, right? In, in, in my mind, this is what he's going to address. So I'm just going to give you three takeaways from this final chapter. Here's the first one. We've got to learn to pray. We've got to learn to pray in a spiritual battle. Pray in a spiritual battle. Here's what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. He says, finally, brothers, he says, everybody say it with me. Come on, man. Everybody with me. Pray. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. He said, also, I'm asking you to pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not, and wicked in the Greek has the idea they wanted to cause harm, right? And the idea of evil men is the idea that these people were incredibly unstable. So these incredibly unstable people who wanted to cause harm to Paul, he said, I'm praying that we'll be delivered, right? For not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful and he's going to strengthen and protect you from the evil one. He prays, asks them to pray for deliverance from evil people. He assures them that we'll be protected from the evil one. We've got confidence in the Lord that you're doing and will continue to do the things that we command. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and to Christ's perseverance. Pray in a spiritual battle. There's a, we, a lot of ways we could go here. I want to go one particular way. Just one particular way. So let's read a couple of verses so I can set it up for you, right? Mark chapter 4, Jesus is explaining a parable he told about a sower. Our farmer went out to sow his seed and he sowed some of his seed and it fell on hard ground. Anybody, anybody remember that story? He's now explaining that parable in Mark chapter 4. He says to the disciples who ask for this to be explained, the farmer sows the word. Some people, he says, are like seed along the path where the word of God is sown. As soon as they hear the word of God, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. He says it this way in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, he says, this is the meaning of the parable of the sower. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are those who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Why? So that they may not believe and be saved. Paul said, I need you to pray that the word of God will spread rapidly, and I need you to pray for deliverance from evil people, people who want to do us harm. Why? Because the minute the word of God goes out, you immediately invite a spiritual battle into that presence. Did you see that? When the sower sows the seed, the word of God, who's the first person to show up? Satan. Satan shows up. That's a spiritual battle. And here's what he says. We need to pray in that spiritual battle. Listen, you want to be a part of a church that never has to deal with that? Don't teach and spread the word of God. Right? Keep it to yourself. Water it down. Don't make it visible. Listen, tonight in our, in our student ministry out in the forge, we're going to take a second here and we're going to pray for them. 
Because out in that room tonight, they are talking about something that some of your kids and some of your grandkids are dealing with. Some of you might be dealing with online or in here. And that is the idea of sexuality. And out there tonight, a man's going to share his testimony of his previous struggle, right, with same-sex attraction and homosexual lifestyle. And he's going to share his testimony for the reason that he's now found deliverance and hope in Jesus Christ. Right? Yeah. And the reason that we're doing it between 6th and 12th grade is because we've already had 6th graders come into the forge and tell our youth partners, I'm being asked every day at school if I like girls. These are young 6th grade girls that are being asked this. Right? Young 6th grade boys are being asked, do you like boys? Right? Years ago, the biggest concern was, you know, are you going to steal my lunch money? Right? Today, this is the question. Here's the thing you need to know. There is a spiritual warfare that's going to take place and has already begun as we begin to announce sharing that out in the forge. And here's what Paul says. The minute the word of God is shared, you need to begin to pray for us. Because when it's shared, Satan's the first person to show up because his desire is to snatch it from the hearts of men and women so they can't believe and they can't be saved. So we have spiritual, war- we have spiritual warfare out on the beach tonight. Because out on the beach, we're sharing the word of God. Right? Satan's going to show up in our children's ministry. Right? Anybody that thinks that Satan is an invited guest into a church that shares the word of God doesn't understand the word of God. It, by its sheer presence, invites spiritual warfare. Because let me tell you something. Satan is not scared of you. And Satan is not scared of me. Satan is not scared of Joe. Satan's not scared of people. You know what he's scared of? He's scared of the word of God. He's scared of the Word of God because the Word of God will deliver people and ultimately save them. Right? Yeah. So, so I want to take just a minute and I want to pray especially tonight for our forge. Because as I got up to speak, Mark Nelson got up to speak and to share that testimony of faith. And there's certainly going to be a spiritual battle that wages war in the hearts of these students and of these adults and honestly of some of the parents that are dealing with this as well. So if you don't mind, everybody online, everybody here, let's just take a minute. I'm going to pray out loud. I'd ask for you to pray uh, as well that God would simply protect that place and and set some of those kids free from that struggle, man. So let's pray. Oh, Father, it's, it's our desire. It's our desire for truth to set people free. Not the truth that the world would teach, not the truth that the devil would teach, Lord, but the truth of your word and the truth that's found in Jesus. So tonight, that word's going to be shared. It's going to be shared in a mighty way with those in the forge, with students. Or 6th grade and 7th and 8th and ninth and 10th and 11th and 12th and in front of parents and adults. And Father, we know the power of your word, man. You call it a weapon. You tell us no weapon that's formed against us is going to prosper, Lord. So we commit our prayers to you, Father, in defense of that place tonight. You take every thought captive in that place, Lord. And you bring every thought into obedience to your son, Jesus. And we pray that the light of your word and the truth of your word, Lord, that will be delivered tonight, will set the captives free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, we've got a spiritual battle, man. 
Listen, where the word of God is being spread, we have a spiritual battle. Listen to what happened to Jesus when he was tempted by the devil in the garden. Matthew chapter 4 says Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the who? Spiritual warfare, right? Here's what happened. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus. So the tempter came to him and said, listen, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answer, it is what? It's written, right? The word of God says man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word or on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It says the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it's written. He'll command his angels concerning you and they will lift up you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus says it is also written. The word of God says, don't put the Lord, your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said to him, all this I'm going to give to you if you will simply bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is the word of God says, worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. Listen, the word of God and the presence of Satan are a marriage where there is one, there is the other, right? So don't be surprised. When you start reading the word of God on a regular basis that you haven't invited spiritual warfare into your life, right? Don't be surprised when you're part of a Bible believing truth telling church that Satan will be present when it comes to what we're trying to accomplish and what your participation is. Don't be surprised when your students or your children who are interested in learning about the word of God face spiritual battle. But here's the thing. We are not incompetent in that battle, right? Satan is not capable of defeating us in that fight. We are victors in that fight. And so many times we are so, listen, we're not, we are not weak when it comes to the work of Satan, right? The power of God, what John said, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Right? The power of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit is greater than the power of the evil one. But so many times we act as if we have no weapons to fight this warfare. Here's what Paul says the first thing you've got to do is you've got to pray. Right? You've got to pray. You've got to enact the power of the Spirit and enact the power of the Word by praying in those spaces. If Listen, if you've got a student, if you've got a child that's in the middle of spiritual battle, you better be praying. And just like it was with, with Jesus when he told the disciples, listen, some of those demons we couldn't cast out. And Jesus said, some of those things only come out through prayer and fasting. Sometimes you've got to dig in and you've got to get real and you've got to fight. But we aren't weak. We are not pitiful people in a spiritual fight with the enemy. Right? I don't have the verse up on the screen, but Colossians tells us, Colossians 2 tells us that God, through Jesus, disarmed Satan. He disarmed the principalities. They're coming to fight with no weapon except deceit. There is no power in the devil except to be a liar. 
That's all he has to offer. And he uses the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. He uses the things of the world to simply tempt us and draw us away because he has no other weapons. We have the word of God who has destroyed the power of him who held death. We've destroyed him. We aren't. We aren't the underdogs in this fight. We are those who have already conquered that fight. So when you're in a spiritual battle, Paul says, pray. Pray for the word of God to expand. Because why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of what? The word of God. Man, you got to get it out there. You want to know how people get saved? They get saved by hearing the word of God. They don't get saved any other way. So when you do that, you better pray for deliverance from evil men and wicked people. Because guess what? The evil one's going to be present because he knows he's got to get the word of God away from the hearts of men, women, and children because they could receive it, believe it, and be saved. Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, I think it's the next verse there says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his what? Dunamis, dynamite. Be strong in the Lord. You as a believer are not weak. Can I hear an amen? Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the evil one, right? We have, we have made him mightier than he is through the movies and the books and all of those things. We have mighty power in God to tear down those strongholds and to wipe out his, his army. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Excuse me. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against who? The devil's schemes. Listen, we're strong and mighty in God. Amen? But you got to come to warfare dressed as a person who understands what's going on. Right? That's why the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, right? Why all of those things matter. The shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. you got to come prepared. But he says... Why do we need it? Because our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Listen, those morons on TV saying all those stupid things, they're not our enemy. And if you're struggling with that, man, you need to stop it. Because that's simply a lie of the devil to get you focused on the wrong enemy. These are just wicked and evil people. But they're not who we warfare against. But we war against rulers, against authorities, Against powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what we fight. And he says, do this, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Listen, we've got an enemy. It's a spiritual fight. And when the word of God is present... Our enemy is always there and he has one agenda. I need to take it from the hearts of these people. And you know what you and I need to do? Every time there's a spiritual battle, we need to pray. We need to pray. And I can tell you this, I don't pray enough. And I'm not talking about praying for safety for your kids. And I'm not praying for your health. And I'm not talking about praying for, for you know, whatever dumb thing we pray about, right? I'm talking about real spiritual warfare prayer against the enemy. Now, listen, I didn't mean to tell you that the things you pray for are dumb. Okay. It's Wednesday night. This is my Friday night. I'm a little bit loose with the tongue. I apologize. Okay. By the time we get here, I've worked six days in a row and I'm a little bit, you know, so I apologize for that. Right. Your prayers aren't stupid and the things you care about aren't dumb. 
No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there are, there are things that you and I need to be praying for in the spiritual world. Would you agree with that? Listen, every kid that's sitting in that forge tonight, every one of those kids is in a spiritual fight right now. Because the word of God is being spoken. Every one of you in here and every one of you online, in front of the word of God, you are now in a spiritual battle. Satan is disinterested in you knowing the truth. He is the father of lies. There's no truth in him, right? He does not want you to be set free in the sun. He does not want you to be free indeed. He wants you in bondage. And the only way he knows how to do it is to deceive you. And you know what you need in that fight? You need prayer. You need prayer. Find a group to pray with. Pray, 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 pray. But we are not weak in that fight. Here's what Jesus said to Peter, Luke 22. There you go. Upper room, night before Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Simon's doing Simon stuff, mouthing away. Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon. Doesn't call him Peter. He doesn't call him the rock. He calls him Simon. Silly Simon. Listen, listen to this. Satan has what? Asked to sift you like wheat. Leave that there. Leave that there. How do you feel knowing that Satan has the freedom to ask your Lord for permission to sift you like wheat? And if you think that it doesn't happen, you be silly. Every one of us at times has our name echoed in the ears of our Savior by the enemy. Asking for permission to sift you. Sift you. That means putting you inside of something and just shaking the dog out of it. Right? Because he wants chaos. What? The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. He's got to get permission for that. And he asks for you and me by name. And look what Jesus says to Simon after this. But I have what? Jesus prays for Peter. Why? Because he knows he's about to go into a spiritual fight. So that when you're done, he says, your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Listen, there's a spiritual enemy in our world today. There is spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And they're led by the enemy. And so when you're in a spiritual battle, you need to pray. And I need to pray. Does that make sense to you, church? How about this one? Stand in a physical battle. Stand in a physical battle. Let's read some verses from 2 Thessalonians 3. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother. Now listen, I'm going to tell you this right up front. I read the NIV because most people use the NIV. I hate the NIV. I don't like its translation. I've studied Greek and I've studied Hebrew and I think they do a terrible job. And I'm going to show you why I think they do a terrible job. I think that sometimes the words they give you like idol are completely misleading. But I'm going to read it to you. Okay, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle. When you hear the word idle, what do you think? Still doing nothing, right? It's a terrible translation of the Greek word there. Terrible. 
He goes on to say this, who's idle and who doesn't live according to the teaching that you've received from us. For you yourselves know, Paul now goes and tells about how he lived when he was among them. You know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, he says, we gave, we, okay, this rule came from Paul. Everybody clear on this? This does not come from Jesus. This came from Paul. When Paul was with them in Thessalonica, he said, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We gave you that rule. We hear that some among you are what? Meaning doing nothing, right? Standing still. Terrible picture of what was actually happening. They are not busy, but they are what? Busy bodies, he says. Such people, such people we command and urge you in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. So let's talk about this for just a minute. Taking a stand in a physical battle, right? So you see the picture, right? There were some people who were busy bodies. And Paul says, basically, you and those kind of people need to have some distance between you. And you need to work, right? So let's go and look at a couple passages. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians, uh, move past 2 Thessalonians 3.11 and go to Genesis 3, right? Let's go all the way back to Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. Satan has spoke to Eve. Eve decides she wants to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She does. She tastes it. She's like, best thing I've ever eaten. She goes to her husband. She says, you got to try it. He says, great. He eats it. Bam. Now they're in trouble. God shows up. What are you done? Right? Adam says, it's the woman's fault. The woman says, it's the devil's fault. God gives his curse to the devil. And then in verse 17, he gives the curse to the man. Everybody, every woman in here, every woman on the line knows what God's curse to women was, right? Increase your pain in childbirth and create an environment where you're beholden to your husband. Thank you, Eve. Good night, right? Right? Don't be blaming men for those problems. That's all Eve's fault, okay? But look what God said to Adam. This is important. He said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now look what happens. Through painful toil, work, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It's going to produce thorns and thistles for you. And you're going to eat the plants of the field. But the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you return. Listen, working is a curse created by the fall. And here's the equation. If you want to eat, you got to what? You got to work. That's what God said to Adam. Listen, the world we live in has become an incredibly difficult place, Adam. Thank you for that. And now here's the only way you're going to eat. You got to work. By the sweat of your brow, you shall eat. Right? Listen, let's be clear here. Escaping the curse by not working 
is a bad plan. Right? Because eating is a result of the work that God says you now need to do. Not working is a problem. Right? Would you agree with that? It's a problem. Listen, Satan loves the idea of keeping people from work. Right? And we're fine. Listen, we're seeing that in our world today because, because of the events of COVID and everything that's happened with unemployment and all this other stuff. Right? We're seeing now. Listen, you talk to people who own a business trying to hire people. We can't find anybody to go to work. I mean, I can't even get a coffee at McDonald's now past 11 o'clock at night because the signs on the windows say, sorry, nobody wants to work. Go home. Right? Halifax Hospital is so short of nurses. There is a massive problem in the world because guess what? We've now begun to believe that eating and working aren't connected. And that's a problem. And there's only one person behind that that benefits from that. Satan. Satan benefits from it. And so here's what Paul says to these people. He says, your, your, your Bible says, and some of your translation says, says withdraw from those people. Right? Create space from those people. The Greek word, right? The Greek word for withdrawal or stay away has at its root to stall. Anybody in here ever drive a car that wasn't brand new? And everybody, anybody ever, ever push on the gas pedal and the gas pedal just sort of did nothing and the car just sort of stalled out? Right? Some of you people are like, what are they talking about? Right? Like, Right. There was a day, there was a day where cars weren't built as well as they are today as far as running. And when you would push down, the car would stall out. Right. Well, here's the thing that when you're driving 55 and your car stalls out, what happens to the other cars beside you? They go what? They go right past you. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. And, and again, this is the kind of stuff that frustrates me. Now listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm an expert in the Greek language that was written thousands of years ago. But I'm also going to tell you I'm not an idiot about it. And so here's what he says. Withdrawal from those people. That word withdrawal was written by a person who translated a Greek word and said by implication. Listen, when you stall your car and cars go by you, you've withdrawn from them. No, you didn't. You stayed put and they went what? Right by you. You see, here's the behavior of Christian people. We've got to learn to stand our ground and not follow people that are doing stupid things. And when we do, we immediately create distance between those people, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. Why? Because most people who hang around bad company follow bad company into bad places, right? Listen, I know a lot of people that are bad company. They haven't corrupted my morals. Why? Because I haven't followed them. I've allowed myself to stall out. Listen, I've had friends in my life that for a season of life I've gotten along with. And that for one reason or another, we just sort of have to separate. Why? We stay on our ground and they move on. That's called withdrawal. But if you tell people to go withdraw from other people, what do they do? They go walk up to that person and say, listen, I can't be around you anymore. You're stupid. Right? Until you get yourself together, I can't spend any more time with you. And then people grow up and they hate the church. And by inference, they hate Jesus. No, stand your ground. When these people want to be busybodies, he says, stall, set, 
Place yourself in one spot and stand in those battles. Don't be following them. Don't be pointing your finger at them. Don't be chasing them. And don't let them influence you. Stand your ground. And guess what will happen? It will create separation. Does that make sense to you? He goes on. Listen to this. I, want to re- I read 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 33 and 34 to you. All right. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, in verse 14. Right? 13 to 14. That's good. Right? If anyone doesn't obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of them. Don't associate with him in order that he may feel what? Right? The idea of the word ashamed. Listen. I just want to stand so bad, right? The whole idea of of stalling isn't to point accusatory fingers and judge other fellow believers. The point is to create enough separation where the person who separated themselves from you by not by continuing to do those dumb things. Here's what he says. I want them to become ashamed. And the idea is that they take a really good look at themselves, right? The idea is that they make such a quick turn that the person they actually see in the mirror is themselves. You see, when we go and we make it about us, the only person they're ever going to see is who? You. And here's the thing, you and me, when we get these people and we give them excuse to not focus on themselves, we've done them a disservice. You and I need to allow people to see themselves for who they are. And the only way to do it is to stand your ground and let distance be created. Does that make sense to you? Right? Because the goal isn't for them to hate you. The goal isn't for them to hate the church. The goal for them is to become ashamed. Because in seeing themselves for what they really are, they'll repent. That's the goal. Listen, God doesn't need you to point a finger in somebody's face and tell them how stupid they are. God needs you to stand your ground and let the distance be created so they can figure it out for themselves. Because that's when true change comes, right? And here's the last one. We've got pray in a spiritual battle. Listen, when the word of God is present, Satan is present. Can I get an amen? Listen, you better be praying in that space, right? Don't be talking about being surprised and don't be talking about being caught off guard. If you've got the word of God and you're teaching it, preaching it, living it, you're going to invite spiritual warfare. And then he says, you need to stand your ground in physical battles. Listen, stop chasing that stuff. Stop chasing the political nonsense. Stop chasing all that nonsense of the world. Stand your ground and let that create the distance because we need those people to see themselves for who they really are. But if you're like that little dog at the heel, nipping at them, constantly talking and constantly chirping at them, they're never going to see themselves. They're only going to see you. And here's the problem. When they see you, they're never going to see Jesus. So get out of the way and stand your ground. Somebody say amen. Amen. And then you need peace in every battle. This is the best part, which stinks because I don't have a lot of time. 16. I'm just going to read verse 16 here, David. This, this part really stuck with me today. He says, now may the Lord of what? Come on, everybody say peace. May the Lord of peace himself give you at all times and in every way, the Lord be with you. I looked up the word peace. The Greek word for peace is irene, right? Or irenes, right? The root word, here's the cool part. And I'm a big, I'm a big word person and I love studying the root, root word of it. The root word for peace, irenes, is the idea 
that you join something together and you make it whole. You got that? And the implication is, is that when you put it together by implication, it's welfare, welfare is in a good place. It's at peace. Does that make sense to you? Peace is a result of an action of joining yourself with something else. Years ago, my, I, I've told you this before, but years ago, my second son died uh, the day that he was born. He was born early, had an infection, couldn't fight it. Uh, Josiah lived for about 12, about 12 hours. We sat in the hospital with him and held him while he passed away. And at 22 years of age, just overwhelmed, possible to even process what was happening. 23, I guess. So as soon as, as soon as Josiah had passed, you know, you did, I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't have, I didn't have this. I didn't have all of you like I did, like, like people do today. And I just remember wanting to get out of there as bad as I could. Right. I just wanted to, I just wanted to get out. And finally the doctor came and said, listen, we're going to put your wife under some sedation because she needs to rest. She's just had the baby. It's been a terrible, we, we need to get that done which was a gift to God for me because they, they gave her some medication so she could sleep and I got to get out of the hospital. And I remember, I'll never forget it. I got in my car from St. John's Hospital and I got on I-44 and I drove as quickly as I could back to O'Fallon, Missouri. And I got on Interstate 70 and I went to the St. Peter's exit and I exited and I found the softball parks. And in that park, was a guy from our church who was my friend and he was playing a game and he was standing out of left field and I parked my car and I jumped out of it and I ran into the field in the middle of the game just so he could hug me. In that moment, I had peace. Not because my son hadn't died and not because life wasn't terribly, terribly sad. I had peace in that moment because I had joined myself to Rod Turnbow. That connection gave me peace. That's Irenaeus. Irenaeus is you joining yourself to something else. So in spite of the storm, you still have peace. And one of the things that God sort of brought to light in my mind is, as much as I don't want to admit it, I like the absence of conflict. I like the absence of trouble. I like the absence of discord. And I find myself at times unusually concerned with making sure that all of that goes well because I consider that to be peace. No. Peace is a state that you get from joining yourself to something else. You're a parent, some of you. You know that. Your kid's scared and what's the worst, first thing you want to do? You want to go what? You want to go be with your kid. Why? You can't fix their problem. You can't solve what happened at school, but you want to run and you want to be there. Why? Because subconsciously, you know, your presence brings what? Peace. So here's the cool thing. Listen to this. John 14. Jesus is getting ready to leave. It's the last night. Don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, he says, I would not have told you or I would have told you. He says, I'm going there. 
to my father's house to prepare a place for you. He says, and if I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, he says, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Somebody say amen, right? So that's what he tells them. These guys are scared. They're sad. They're broken. Three and a half years, they followed this guy. Thick and thin, they've watched it all. And now he's like, I'm leaving. They're freaking out. Go down to John 14 and listen to what he says in verse 25. He says, all these things I've spoken while I'm still with you. Now remember, remember, right? Bring, get, get rid of that. Go back to that verse before that. Remember, Irene, peace is the joining together to make whole. And the result of it is, is that that place of welfare that's okay. And the result of that is peace. Everybody got that? Listen to what Jesus says. All this I spoken while I was still with you. But the counselor, everybody read it with me. The what? Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit's coming. And look what he says. Right after he tells him the Holy Spirit comes, is coming. He says what? Peace I what? what? Hang on a second, Jesus. You're leaving. And the only protection we've had for three and a half years is you. And you're telling us you're leaving. And at the same time, you're telling us you're leaving your peace. That makes no sense. Because peace, because peace isn't the absence of problem. Peace is a result of joining yourself to something. And what did Jesus just say? I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you the what? The Holy Spirit. And when you join yourself to the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to leave my peace with you. I'm going to leave you a place to join with me. My peace I'm going to give you. How are you going to give it to me, Jesus? You're leaving because I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit behind. And guess what? You and you and you and you and you and you and all of you, you get to join the Holy Spirit and you can have peace. And instead of looking for the absence of trouble, look for the connection to Jesus. Look for the connection to the Holy Spirit. So the next time your life turns upside down, don't start freaking out about the earthquake and the tornado and all the chaos. Make sure you're connected to the Holy Spirit. Because in that connection, no matter what's going on, you'll have peace. Why do you think Satan works so hard to get people to stop coming to church when life becomes a mess? Because he knows the power of the connection. Sever it. Keep people away from their Bible. Don't ever read it. Don't tell them that there's a living, breathing organism called the Holy Spirit they can be joined to. And in it, they can have peace. Don't do those kind of things, right? Things get bad. People want to pull away from God. They want to fold in. They want to separate. They want to connect to the world. That's just the work of the devil. Because here's what he knows. That Holy Spirit, that's your Rod Turnbow. That's the guy you need to find and hug when life gets terrible. That's the guy you need to go squeeze because in that connection, no matter what, you can have peace. And then let me just give you a little practical. Let's give me a little practical thing, right? We live in a world where we're talking, church church has lost its mind, okay? I mean, if you start listening to stuff that's going on in churches, churches have lost their mind, right? One of the things that's always been an issue in the churches, let me just talk about speaking in tongues, okay? There are people watching online. There are probably people in here that, that believe in speaking in tongues, There are others that don't, whatever. I'm just going to give you a little practical lesson about the power of a word, right? 1 Corinthians 14, Paul's writing to a church that's in chaos, right? They're they're using the spiritual gifts in a poor way and in 
in John 12, 13, and 14, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Paul addresses the issue, right? These people have gone crazy, okay? He says, what should we say then, brothers, about coming together like this? Everyone's got a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. Everybody's got something they want to share, right? All of these must be done for the strengthening of the what? Not the individual, but the body of Christ. If anyone, listen, this is Paul under the authority of the Holy Spirit talking about tongues. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three, should what? And someone must... Listen, I can just tell you right now, you can step into a lot of churches that speak in tongues and they have violated that. And they want to tell you it's from God. It is not. And you want to know why? Because the word of God is a litmus test. If you're speaking in tongues and there's more than... if Listen, I, I've been in these churches. Chaos reigns. There's no strength in either the church. Right? So it goes on. Listen to this. If there's no interpreter... If there's nobody to interpret the tongue, the speaker of the tongue should what? Oh, good Lord. You see how easy, how easy it is to identify stupidity and the work of the devil in a church? It's as simple. And we have violated it and then we want to say, oh, it's, it's godly. What? If there's no interpreter, the speaker of the tongue should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Listen, I preach for 45 minutes. And you people have conversations in your head the whole time. You're speaking to yourself. And here's the thing. I never hear you. So if you've got a tongue with no interpreter, I shouldn't hear you. You should be really quiet. And listen to what he says here. Two or, th two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Keep going. There you go. Satan is not a fan of these words, right? And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker, the first speaker should stop, right? For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Order matters. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Everybody online, everybody read this. This is the power of understanding one word. Everybody read this with me. For God is not the author of disorder, but of irene. See, here's the problem with being disorderly in the church. You break the connection. And when there's no connection, there's no peace. You want to know why speaking in tongues is so poorly, so poorly represented in many churches? Is because it is disorderly and not of peace. There's no way for people to connect to it. So the next time you want to talk about tongues or healing or any of that stuff, you need to ask yourself this. Is there a place for people to connect? Because if there's not, there's no peace. And I can tell you this, it's not of God. Because guess who specializes in disorder? The enemy. And here's the last verse I'm going to read to you. Romans 5.1. So some of you online, some of you, somebody in here may not know Jesus. And you have no idea how to obtain peace. Paul says this. 
He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been made right with God, no longer guilty. We have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, maybe you need to be made right with God tonight. Maybe somebody online needs to be made right with God tonight. There's only one way to do it. You got to know Jesus. You don't have to, you don't have to know Tomoka. You don't even have to know the Bible, but you better know your savior. And so if that's you, right? If that's you tonight, if you need, if you're online, push the button. I have decided if you're in here, I'm going to be down. There are other people in this room that would be glad to talk to you. But if you need to find that peace that comes from Jesus, man, let's get that done. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. Amen, church. Let's pray. Father, make us aware of the enemy. Yes, the world's full of evil people. Wicked people. Who we know firsthand who want to do harm to those who follow Jesus. There are people today across the world who have lost their lives because of their commitment to Jesus. Because those evil men have no, have no qualms in taking a life for their God. I pray, Father, that as we become more aware of the spiritual battle that we face on a daily basis, that we'll be people who pray more. Not pray as people who are timid and weak, but pray as people who are strong and mighty in God. And I pray, Father, that as the world loses its mind and as the church follows suit in so many cases, we'll be people who stand our ground. We'll set our anchor. We'll be immovable. And we'll watch as those move past us of their own accord. And our prayer will be for them to be ashamed. But in all these things, God, make us people who experience the power of peace that comes from staying connected to you. Through Jesus, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Comforter. In his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.